Hey you, I can hear you, bitch. Um. Oh, we're doing it. What up, what up, hoes? Welcome back to another episode of The Two Happy Hoes. Yes. Yes, yes. Welcome back. This is Rachel. This is Chelsea. How are you all doing today? How are you doing today, Rachel? <laughs> you know, I actually woke up hella depressed, but it's I'm coming out the other side. <laughs> hey, I wasn't expecting that, but I mean... We're depressed, so you never know. There are good days and bad days. You know, uh, sad days in my mind, or whatever SZA said. So, (laughs) 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 well, I mean, speaking of depression, (laughs) (laughs) let's move on to two bitter bitches. Oh, you big mad. So, besides being depressed, what you mad about today? I'm not laughing at my friend, y'all. I understand that this is serious. <laughs> I don't think anyone thinks that you're laughing at me. But I think, yeah, so same old shit, different week. If y'all listened to last week's podcast, I was talking about just, you know, uh, the labor output never diminishing. It literally feels like no matter how much I keep doing and I feel like I'm trying to get ahead on everything. It feels more like I'm playing catch up. Um, and then it's just like another thing or like I work really hard on this one thing. And then the next day it's just more to do. And I'm just like, what the fuck? So not gonna lie. That's been having me a little bit down. Cause it's also just, cause I'm trying to get the fuck out. And so it's been, uh diminishing my ability to like apply for jobs um so yeah I just feel like really behind on a lot of stuff but you know here we are I it's almost done I empathize with that because this dissertation am I writing it or is it writing me (laughs) am I reading (laughs) these articles are they reading me (laughs) so I think You're right where you're supposed to be, but the haters, even if it's the little voices in your head. Yeah, I just keep thinking, I think I tweeted about this once, but like, is, is the stress and anxiety of maintaining a job on behalf of like security? Like, does that, (laughs) does, does that challenge the amount of stress and anxiety that you, you would have unemployed? And I'm really still, I'm really still, which one do I prefer? Yeah, it's like which stress and anxiety is gonna like be the lesser of two evils, as the liberals like to say. So you know, <laughs> if any scammers listen to this, um, please slide in our DMs because I'm interested in learning how to scam because I'm tired of working. <laughs> no, I literally I'm so checked out. I can't. I really it's and I I would love to hear if other people have been there. Like when you're so checked out of a job or like, so checked out of like whatever you're doing, but you kind of feel stuck. So it's like, you got to stay there, (laughs) but you just know it's, you know, you're done, you know, like mentally, spiritually, 
you are you are done want to hear an example of that (laughs) sure so when we were finishing up our master's and I had already been admitted to a PhD program and I didn't have the stress of trying to find a job I was like I'm done with these fucking classes and reading (laughs) and doing all this shit and I I don't know if you remember this I mean I did have a lot of personal and family stuff going on at that time but I missed like six weeks of class like during that time um and I was like okay well I do still have to finish this degree and pass my classes to move on to the next step but I was done with that fucking degree I was done with Iowa like (laughs) just ready to oh yeah I um but yeah once I got that acceptance um and that funding I was like no one could tell me nothing paper Uh, papers assignments when I got my first job I was like okay I don't need need this I got a job but in reality you needed the degree to get the job right 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 (laughs) so yeah that's just kind of where I'm at but you know what are you bitter about today so I'm gonna start this off by like it shouldn't be something that should have turned bitter it was actually an excellent opportunity so I had the opportunity to speak to this national corporation um about my expertise in diversity equity inclusion justice work um bringing like my knowledge in the education space to the corporate space um the CEO was actually on there um taking notes so your girls out here making moves, making moves. Okay. Um, and so I'm giving my talk and I'm talking about areas of implicit bias, but the, the talk was about moving past like implicit bias trainings um, and um, putting diversity statements into action. So like, I'm like, statements are statements, like tr- actions, these statements need to be, tr- these words need to be translated into actions, like, and in so many words and then I also talked about like you really can't train people out of like their unconscious bias um yes. but you can train them on what to do when they are um confronted with that like internally or they externalize that to other people and so and then I moved on on ways like how you can put your diversity statement in action so many institutions organizations are like we value everyone here like there's a place for everyone in this um and I'm like but what's your leadership look like And so one of the fragile white women on the call was like, well, we have some really amazing ladies in the leadership. And like, so should they give up their position because they're not as diverse? Yes. Sometimes you motherfucking should. And I'm like, (laughs) Karen. (laughs) Okay. Obviously (laughs) I didn't say that. Right. But I was on video, so I'm like, fix your face. (laughs) Girl, fix your face. (laughs) And then I'm like, now, I, as I stated previously, um, one of the ways to like hold yourself accountable um, through unconscious bias is using your privilege to make space for other people. And so I'm a firm believer in there's enough play, enough. space at the table for everybody to eat but does everybody even have a seat at that table to eat and so Mm -hmm. I just want y'all to to think about that and chew on that and I'm like also in terms of like more diverse you're speaking about more people of color on your leadership team and I'm like because I want everyone to understand everyone is diverse in some way like even if you're white even if you're Mm -hmm. a man like you're still diverse in some way however some of those identities that you hold have 
some privilege that is not afforded to like other people and she was like well I'm just I like I know we have some amazing women on our leadership that are doing great things for this company and I'm like yes yes they are okay no one said that obviously they invited a badass bitch like me here so obviously they are doing great things right great Great things but also not great enough if you have to come talk to them about this shit so so then I had to I had to go off go off on a little tangent with my knowledge and talk about privilege identity exploration and fragility white fragility um and one of the white girls on the call she had my back I didn't even know her and I was like yes and she was like yes these these are the things that we as white people have to do and I was like come on Sarah that was not her name I just don't want to get sued but I'm like yes that is absolutely correct Sarah and I'm like look look at us working together collaborating but yeah I'm like girl so yeah I had to and then I'd like drop some of my favorite articles like the unpacking the invisible knapsack and like Mm -hmm. you know some of those very like what are foundational pieces to us but are like really critical like frameworks to like DE&I work um yeah I put those in the chat for hopefully for them to read but I was like girl first of all what you're not going to do is try to derail my expertise with your fragility that's what you're not going to do um and then I think she thought I was going to get a little like shaken up (laughs) Does she know who she's talking to? No, she didn't. She didn't know me at all. <laughs> but she, I, I think she thought I was going to like argue with her or whatever. But all I did was give her cold, hard knowledge and facts. And like, what you going to do? Argue with that? She didn't say nothing else after that. Honestly. But yeah, like this. And like you embarrassing yourself in front of the CEO. The VP of um, human resources was on the call. And I'm like, so th- so you got a guest on here and this is how you're representing your company. Cool. Bet. Great. <laughs> Look, I hope the CEO followed up with her real motherfucking quick. I'd be ah. like, don't you ever fucking embarrass me on a call like that again. You better, you better get in line, girl. <laughs> like, like, right. It's like, you know, like when you acting up in church and your mama like, right. Be quiet. Like, yeah, I'm like, girl, but the VP of human resources too. So you over here explicitly staying your biases with human resources on the call, but go off, sis. (laughs) Go off. (laughs) But yeah, so that just made me, white fragility is in, in very few words, white fragility has me bitter. Yeah. You know, honestly, it will maintain us staying bitter, TBH. Okay, don't play with Beyonce's children, okay? Beyonce is always looking out for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but what you happy about today? So a bitch is also happy. Well, I tweeted and put on Instagram how I wanted to get back in my creative bag, in my stylish bag, in my, you know, my bad bitch vibes bag. And so I have some new clothes coming in the mail. I made a big old order from Misguided um capitalism at work I also also did some thrifting last weekend too and got some really good pieces um but yeah I'm like I need one I can't fit most of my clothes so I have to update my wardrobe but also I'm like it's been like over years since I've really bought clothes gotten dressed so you know a bad bitch reset I also got my nails done today got me some new grabbers I got me a little ombre set 
Um, and I got white toes. So, you know, this hoe did not come to play with y'all. <laughs> Absolutely not. When you, when the white toes come out, the whiter the you toes, know. the bigger the hoe. <laughs> Look, hashtag hot girl summer. Okay. Okay. Meg would be proud. <laughs> Garden in the spring, period. But what are you happy about? I, um, after, you know, a long week, I have plans to go to brunch tomorrow, uh, with two of my favorite people here at work. Um, so I'll get crazy. We, <laughs> you know, I know they right now too. Y'all get crazy. Okay. Look, <laughs> look, I guess for some short context, like me and then my coworkers, Rich and Rochelle we have a group chat called robbery and when we get together it's it's a party it's okay? a rah-rah rifty read <laughs> it's uh it's it can get a little wild um but I'm I'm excited I'm excited we're gonna go to a new brunch spot um it's just definitely much needed after all the stress that I've been going through and I'm trying not to let myself feel guilty about it Um, because in my head, I'm always like, well, I could be doing work, right. Um, toxic culture of productivity. (laughs) Um, but I'm also happy because I honestly, it's just a very new arena (laughs) from dating a narcissist to dating a healthy human being <laughs> uh this, y'all y'all remember back in season one or or was it yeah season one mm-hmm. when she called me a boyfriend bitch who's the boyfriend bitch <laughs> now bitch I really am I'm I'm like a really like I sometimes I sit there and think about how much I love him and I cry so I (laughs) he is the boyfriend bitch I mean I'm still a boyfriend bitch y'all I'm still with this nigga (laughs) you know (laughs) I but I just obviously I've been going through a hard time and like I I think today especially I just woke up and I was just super sad and like anxious and all that stuff and one of my biggest fears is being an emotional burden to absolutely anyone um I'd rather die um and so (laughs) he was just like super supportive and yeah it was just like nice and such a weird reaction not a I guess it's not. That's a healthy reaction. But for me, I was like, it's not a, a reaction you're accustomed to. Okay. Right. Yeah. So it was just nice to to have that. So love to yeah. see it. I'm happy for you. I'm happy for y'all. I love <laughs> this person. Have we said his name on here before? No, but y'all are going to meet him. His name's Kevin. So. Okay. Well, I didn't want to put Kevin out there, but I love Kevin. <laughs> it was a rocky road at first. Not when they first started dating. It was a rocky road when Kevin first came into our lives. Yeah, that is. But now uh, I, lo- I love Kevin. <laughs> that is that is true. I'm glad. I'm taking care of my friend. If you hurt her, I will kill you because I didn't let these other niggas skate and slide, but you're the last one I will. <laughs> Ooh, but anyway, we're going to transition into the complete act- opposite <laughs> of a supportive partner. Um, we're going to go to You Don't Need Him, Sis. And who are we going to be talking about today, Chelsea? Ooh, we're talking a ver- about a very niche, specific area of men, people, humans we do not need. 
Um, mm-hmm. And it's going to be based off the top five fuckboy vehicles. So Absolutely. starting with number one, funny story. So when I first started dating um, my boyfriend, uh, I told him, I was like, oh yeah, I don't date men who drive these types of cars. He was like, why? And I was like, because they're going to fuck up your edges. They're going to fuck up your credit. They're going to fuck up your life. Um, and I, I just don't. And he was like, well, glad I don't have one of those cars. I'm like, no, boo, you got a nice Hyundai, a nice, sensible, reliable vehicle. Like <laughs> any nigga that drive a Hyundai, <laughs> they're safe. Okay. They're safe. <laughs> now, if it's a Hyundai Elantra, that's somebody car. Then that ain't yours. <laughs> I mean, my dad drives a Hyundai Elantra, but he's a very practical Virgo man. So that's why. Um, but yeah, like, mm, so first on the list, um, these are really in no particular order. We rank them all the same as being a uh, fuckboy vehicle. So if you drive any of these cars, don't fucking talk to us and don't fucking talk to our friends. Um, so the first one, a Camaro. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. Uh, revving up your little engine like waxing your car but you only got a quarter tank of gas like no (laughs) yeah honestly y'all if you see if you see that car skirt skirting towards you you better skirt skirt away okay (laughs) the opposite direction (laughs) oh this honestly these next two are literally they're both in the same family absolutely they're cousins actually a charger and a challenger okay like i if you own one of these cars if if your boyfriend if this dude owns one of these cars odds are he's fucking up your life like i don't think i've seen a <laughs> healthy sensible not one, not one. <laughs> man with either of those cars so not one not one um the next one is um it has a couple of criteria um so this could be a plethora of vehicles all encompassing really so it also includes any of the cars that we named prior um but anything with two seats Mm -hmm. a spoiler and is neon colored i'm also going to add a racing stripe get the fuck asap sis get the fuck asap like no 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 like absolutely where where am I supposed to put my groceries in a two-seater fucking car like where are we supposed to bring home our items from home goods like no (laughs) they're not ready to start a family with those cars okay they're not they're not ready to settle down they're still ready to be on their fuck boy ass shit okay (laughs) like no run for the fucking hills Ooh, and then the last one is definitely and I relate to this because literally my ex (laughs) had this hoopty ass truck but a jacked up <laughs> a jacked up truck really any truck i feel is like grounds for fuckboy material like any man that like actually does want a truck like they're like yes i want it mm. <laughs> aj <laughs> i mean the country <laughs> right like i feel and i was talking to chelsea before this about like uh I feel like particularly for like white men, they grow up and like they all want a fucking truck. Silverado a Chevy. Right. <laughs> right. And I'm just like, for what? More room for your hunting rifles, you fucking weirdos. And so 
<laughs> but honestly, the men that I grew up with, like they, that wasn't even a thought in their mind. Like, I, yeah, they'd probably be happy with the chuck, but they you grew up with hood niggas. <laughs> Right. So I just <laughs> ain't nobody wanted that. Like, and I also grew up in Michigan. So it's like everyone wanted a Mustang. Like that was the big, like, you know, huge thing, but definitely Charger, definitely Challengers. Like ain't nobody wanted a fucking. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Some honorable mentions are Nissan Altima and Nissan Maxima um, as well, but it depends on the year. <laughs> yeah yeah anything it, 2016 and up run yeah or <laughs> steer clear <laughs> so get you get you a man with a honda a hyundai a kia a subaru mm-hmm. a prius <laughs> a prius a camry but all these other ones leave a them minivan okay, okay. <laughs> calm the fuck down bitch because if he got a minivan, that too many kids, and you need to stay. <laughs> Hell no, we are still, not taking it. He still li- no, no, no. He no, still no. lives with his. He, he still lives with, with his mama. mama. He either lives with his mama or he got too many kids. So no, minivan is also off the fucking table. <laughs> forgive her, forgive her, Beyonce, for she not knows what she does. <laughs> I was just joking. I was like, I was dancing with a minivan. Come on. <laughs> Come on. All I can think about is a nigga having like four kids. <laughs> four kids living in his mama's basement. Like, <laughs> shit. Ooh. Mike still be living with the baby mama. Uh, you right. That's so, oh, add that to the list. N- niggas, you don't need. <laughs> Actually, we might just talk about it. We might. <laughs> stay, but- stay tuned. <laughs> But if you uh, are dating or know a boy, a man, a person uh, (laughs) that owns any of these cars, odds are they are a fuckboy and will ruin your life. So uh, you don't need them, sis. (laughs) All right, let's take a quick break. What's up, hoes? Want to stay up to date with all of our new content? Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Social media is our number one resource for you to interact with us, engage with all of our new episodes, and find all of the streaming platform services you can listen to us on. So what are you waiting for? You can follow us at Two Happy Hoes on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. That's the number two, Happy Hoes, H-E-A-U-X-E-S, the number two, Happy Hoes, H-E-A-U-X-E-S. Well, thanks for listening and let's get back to the show. All right, so we're back and we're moving on to Ochi Trippin' because we some vaccinated baddies. So we back on these trips. So Rachel, where have you been tripping to or where are you tripping to? So I think I talked about it in the last episode, but I went to uh, New Hampshire um, to to see Bay, obviously. Um, <laughs> boyfriend bitch energy. Anyway, so we went to his hometown, Providence. Uh, and not going to lie, I really wasn't expecting. <laughs> okay, because it's like literally the size of like a needle so like I, <laughs> I you could run around the state in like you know a day so I was like I, I really wasn't expecting like real city vibes but like I was like dang 
we had hella fun too like we found like some brunch places and like stuff like that and okay i did end up getting really fucked up uh i puked all over myself um not proud of that but but i had a fun time regardless um (laughs) what day did i text you i was like i tried to be so cryptic and i'm like are are you still on the east coast and you're like yes and i'm like are are you having fun and you're like yeah hello and i was like i mean bitch you're in new hampshire okay i need to know like i've never been to fucking new hampshire i didn't know if that shit was gonna be fun no i'm not gonna uh, i i had so new hampshire was fun because i was with my partner right and like i just appreciate spending time with him but like really it's not a destination to go to at all. I don't think anyone thought it was, but I just, (laughs) it's, it's not big city vibes um, at all. It's more like old town, weird New England country roads. I I don't know. Capital of New Hampshire. I used to know this. Is it Durham? I don't think so. I don't know. I know the capital of Vermont. What is that? Oh, wow. I really forgot. I used to be so good at capitals. I'm actually very, like, New Hampshire is escaping me right now, but yeah. Yeah, I I really sing the song, but I'm going to save (laughs) y'all. It might be Durham. I don't know. Um, But if we're wrong, I guess correct us. Um, (laughs) But yeah. Providence was cute though. Really cute. Had some good food. Um, there's more, way more POC than I thought there would be. We were staying in like their little Italy like neighborhood. Um, but yeah, there was actually hella POC. We had this really nice Airbnb. Um, I was afraid because I puked everywhere that I was going to have a bad (laughs) review. But the person said that we were great guests and left the space cleanly. And I was like, did he not find the puke? I don't know. I tried to, no, I tried to clean it up as much as I could, but I just felt like, you know, you could probably smell it. I don't know. The capital of Vermont is Concord. I mean, New Hampshire. (laughs) Oh, I thought that was the capital of either Vermont or Maine. Wow. See, New England. Mount Pillier is the capital of Vermont. (laughs) Okay, girl, I'm not questioning you. I was just saying. Capital of since we're up there in the New England states is Augusta. Augusta, Maine. Augusta. Anyway. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but where where did you where are you going? Um, so y'all are gonna listen to this episode by the time I come back, but I'm going to the beach this weekend. My friend Jesse um, has a beach house out on Topsoil Island here in North Carolina. It's a dank ass house. Like she got my king bed ready for me. Um, and yeah, so I'm going to the beach this weekend. It's supposed to be nice. So shout hey. Honestly, where can I get friends like this? Because I need a king bed on, you know, the ocean. So if you know if you know anyone hit me up <laughs> listen and it like the whole like like the whole back side of the house is like nothing but windows so like when you look out you just see the ocean it's beautiful love yeah. it 
Um, but yeah, so I can't wait to do that. Um, check my Instagram stories. Yes, yes, yes. So now we're going to transition into our <laughs> most coveted segment, which is why people are not okay. Because uh, y'all never are. So <laughs> I'm glad uh, to know that most of the white people that listen to this show knows that they are not okay. Which honestly are the only white people I really want listening to this show. So that's good. Um, no, I need y'all dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do need them to listen, but honestly, uh, why would I give them all this free labor that they're not about to like intake? you know instead they're just going to be in the comments like Karen from your little DEI training being like I am an amazing person I do all this work I have struggles too I'll tell you something offline about that but (laughs) (laughs) okay who is not Uh, yes we uh and I do want to say quick before we get into it um I I know a lot of shit is going on once again, because the cycle never ends of, you know, police murdering. Yeah. Police murdering like black people. So um, if I'm being honest, typically we would talk about it and say something, but I, I'm not really in the space to talk about it. Um, And that's okay. Um, But check on your people genuinely don't don't be some you know weirdos being like oh just making my rounds um so uh anyway today oh you want to say something shout out to the people who have checked on me this week um Mm -hmm. shout out to y'all yeah but anyway uh protect yourself protect your energy and uh honestly um my heart goes out to (laughs) every single black person so Mm-hmm. Um, but today on white people are not okay. We're gonna be talking about a different type of white person, uh, which is white people and them infiltrating the natural hair movements. Um this is actually brought on today by this video that I saw earlier earlier of this white girl. <laughs> I'll post the video once we once we do this, but this white girl uh, posting a TikTok being like uh, me trying to figure out how to maintain my natural curls or take care of my natural curls. And then she goes through this whole hair tutorial of like <laughs> using all this product, like, you know, Pastor brush oil, coconut oil, um, Br- <laughs> a Denman brush. <laughs> Yes, fucking and like trying to curl her hair, scrunching up her hair, using a diffuser, all this stuff. And it comes out literally still looking a mess. And (laughs) I think the biggest thing for me about this video, A, and when I post it, y'all will see. She has like bleach blonde hair, but it also in black people across the globe know, unless you've just always had natural hair your entire life, but odds are you still know. When you get a perm uh, to straighten your hair, like new growth comes in. <laughs> like you, you have to continuously perm your hair if you want like continuously straight yeah, really, hair. Straight. Yeah, stay straight. And her, that's what exactly what it looks like. She, it looks like she got a perm on her hair like six months ago. What? It, <laughs> what? 
because no, what do the white people get to straighten their a keratin treatment oh yeah it might be who knows i don't know but it does look like she she got a fucking perm like six months ago and just never chopped off the the dead hair like it it looks like and she's doing her hair looking like that so it's like you know curly as fuck at the roots and then like <laughs> dead straight hair at the ends and she's really trying to fucking do her Maybe hair in that way and like to turn the dead hair into curls yes and people were dragging her in the comments being like you when know you she- that little demon brush and tried to twirl it bitch <laughs> that took me down oh and then every okay so all the real curly headed bitches know like once your hair is dry you don't put no comb to that shit unless you're picking your roots to add some volume absolutely so this girl diffuses her hair and then (laughs) combs it (laughs) but not picked it combs it like with a regular like wide tooth comb and i'm like no 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 but i've seen so many like tiktokers specifically and like youtubers like now we're not saying don't embrace your natural hair um we're not saying don't embrace who you are, what grows out of your head naturally, but you got to know your lane. You got to, you got to know, know your lane. Like you, you don't have to slather that shit up with Cantu and um, <laughs> to, to achieve these styles. And like, this is coming from two natural hair, curly girls. Okay. One of which is biracial. Okay. So like before y'all try to get in our comments, say anything, we're literally trying to help you. So like find your lane, find the products that work, work for you. And like, just say that you have curly hair. Like you don't have to call it the, the natural hair movement because you're co-opting. And don't, and don't sit there and be like, my hair is nappy because white people be doing that. And I fucking hate them. But I will say, even with this girl, (laughs) people were dragging her in the comments like, girl really wasted all this product when really all she needed was some scissors. Because it's so true. It's like, if you really do want to take care of your curls, like, and I don't, I don't, I don't know this girl's history, but it does look like she got a perm or a keratin treatment, whatever white people be getting to straighten their hair. But it do look like I it was just damaged. It was the hair yeah. was damaged, and so I don't understand. I, I'm assuming she had curly hair her entire life, so I don't know how it, her roots were I, very curly. Yeah, so I I don't know w- where the confusion is, but you know, I, that's not me. But <laughs> transitioning out of that, I'm just like I I'm tired of seeing all of these fucking. 2A, 2B haired bitches, uh, light ass skin, and I'm a light ass skin bitch, okay? But I'm tired of these bitches in on the fucking social media being like my curly hair routine. They be getting out the shower, their hair literally just has a little bit of wave, and they literally spend like I don't know how much time manipulating their curls, diffusing their hair, all that stuff to make it look like a full head of curls, which at the end of the day. It does look beautiful. Like I'm not sitting there like shitting on that. But when you sit there and you're like natural hair movement and like we know that the natural hair movement is literally dominated by like two, uh, uh, I would say like 
especially now, like light skin POC or uh, people that have like 2A, B, C, 3A, B kind of hair. And that's not a realistic representation of like everyone with natural hair. Um, Mm -hmm. And the natural hair movement was literally (laughs) built for black women. Uh, So that's number one, but also like, you know, there, there's a whole sector of four ABC. Like I just, and, and we know that they don't get as much love as like all these other curly hair tutorials or all these other natural hair things. And honestly, it like predicates this idea of like my hair needs to look like that or like I want to get my hair like that because there's definitely there's tears to this shit like Mm -hmm. there's a there's a value of curls within the natural hair movement and we all know um you know the kinkier the more coily uh is is not viewed as beautiful beautiful yeah yeah it's what society doesn't see as beautiful we think it's all beautiful but yeah, oh, it, yeah it's frustrating and I like honestly it's time to take the spotlight off of white people because why would we leave it on them um <laughs> you know it like black women natural hair women who have kinkier coily hair like know that your hair is beautiful you don't have to manipulate it you don't have to put so much product on it to make it look like x y and z like your curls are beautiful as is and like embrace that I know for me I do have like 3b 3c hair but before that it took me a very long time like 25 years of my life to embrace like my curly hair and I look back in like high school and middle school when I would wear my hair like curly and natural and that shit looked like you know how a dirty mop looks (laughs) stop like that shit looks so bad and I'm like y'all really let me walk around there talking about I scrunch my hair and it's wavy with like a whole can of mousse on there but like (laughs) when I turned 25 like I literally said like this summer I'm gonna go natural and like when I first did it the hair my hair was looking like old girls on that video (laughs) (laughs) but it took time it took patience it took years for me to get my hair where it was I destroyed it again but now she's on her way back but like your curls are beautiful and like you you just gotta stay in your lane no there are white people who have curly hair yes you don't have to co-opt an existing movement that it was designed and meant to uplift um black women in order to embrace that movement or you embrace your own curly hair right and we know that at the end of the day like um white people with curly hair are still going to be seen as beautiful and their odds are their curl pattern is still going to be like valued as a symbolism of beauty um rather than you know a black woman like you saying like you have 3b 3c hair which is like more loose right and in the black community people will be like oh that's some good hair you know like but (laughs) at the end of the day since it's on you as a black person like it it's uh determined differently by society as like beauty right so like absolutely um and even for like there I've seen like white girls who have like 3b hair and they're like oh my hair is so frizzy and unmanageable and like just learn how to take care of your hair 
yeah like literally learn how to take care of your hair and it would it would look fine and dandy yeah and i i will say like especially growing and i've talked about before growing up with white mom okay (laughs) she (laughs) it took me hella long and i i would say and i'm in my late 20s i am just now yeah like you didn't start wearing your hair out until like a year or two ago I really didn't like all throughout grad school. Like I, my hair was in a bun. Like I used to slick that shit back all the time. Like I still looked amazing, but I'm just saying my hair, like I really didn't give it the love and care that it needed. And honestly, I really didn't have the knowledge or the, the money really to like support my hair. Cause right now I do spend hella a lot on my hair stuff, but I'm just now, researching like kind of the the chemistry makeup of my hair or like what really is my curl pattern what works best with it and now like I'm finally yeah wearing out my hair a bit more like I don't feel as like weird about it but um I definitely yeah it's it's definitely figuring out like what works best for your hair but I think also white people recognizing like you can have curly hair and you don't have to sit there and dominate a movement that literally was not made for you like you're still going to be valued at the end of the day and desirable because you are white so curly hair or not yeah within your little white community obviously it's like straight hair or nothing but like you're still going to be valued (laughs) because you're still white and cool you have curly hair odds are you could straighten it and it's gonna be fine so Mm -hmm. Ah, but yeah so thank you for coming to our TED talk (laughs) (laughs) this is one of my favorite segments coming it's it's literally you coming to y'all today um with a whole tip as the warm weather starts to approach many of us I know some people in the midwest are still suffering um but you know hot girl summer is coming and uh obviously we will be wearing sandals um so as that season approaches please 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 do not be walking around here with your toenail polish all chipped and your sandals on now I'm not talking about when you tripped over the coffee table and got a little nick on the corner after that fresh pedicure I'm talking about when you have three toes on your right foot that has polish two toes on your left foot and then a corner of your big toe like either just take it off just take the polish off or if if you have the means just just go 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 buy some nail polish or go get another pedicure I don't know but don't be walking around here with that chip polish like it looks it looks nasty it looks raggedy and I said what I said I said what I said just don't be laying your toes out if they ain't ready to show out, okay? <laughs> or just take the polish off like it's, just take it off. <laughs> like, you probably could even just peel that off. Like, you, like, you know stop. what? You right, you right, but. <laughs> but like, I mean, if you don't want to do that, keep your socks on. Yeah. It just... literally grosses me out. Think about your surroundings, okay? Read the room, okay? <laughs> and if you see me, just know I'm coming over there to blaze your ass. <laughs> what are those? <laughs> That's, you know this is a hill I will die on. <laughs> it really is. So, 
like if I if my toes are like chipped up, I'm taking the polish off or I'm just wearing sneakers. There have Absolutely. been times that I have not been able to afford a pedicure. Mm-hmm. And you know, th- when the toes were looking like daggers, I just <laughs> kept my socks on and rocked the converse. <laughs> I literally even when because I hate having a like toenail polish and stuff like that. So even when I get pedicures, I really just be going to get my feet right. And they'll be asking, like, what kind of polish do you want? I'm like, clear. Just (laughs) just put it up. They look at me weird. But like, I'm literally like I I like, you know, spending more money and spending more time on like nails if I get my nails done. Mm-hmm. but really I just be wanting them to scrub 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 my little toes so they you know they be soft and flourishing mm-hmm. uh and I I know myself I'm not gonna sit there and spend the time to take off my my nail polish so I <laughs> I sit there I know I know and so I'll let them I'll let them do their little thing and I'm like just put on some clear nail polish I'm good bitch if I ever catch you with some chipped up toes uh, you know you would it though because I'm not I'm not I'm not out here doing all that <laughs> oh but thank you thank you all for that <laughs> with that we are going to take a short break what up what up hoes so today on two happy hoes for our POC business shout out we're shouting out abundantly blooming abundantly blooming is a spiritual healing business created by Rachel a black non-binary healer meant to guide and support fellow community on their healing, grief, and self-love journey. The mission of their work is through radical vulnerability, authenticity, and commitment to our growth, we can all abundantly bloom into our higher selves. Rachel provides healing sessions specializing in working through healing, grief, codependency, emotional abuse, boundaries, and self-love as a healer and guide. If you want to check out Abundantly Blooming on social media, follow them over at Abundantly Blooming on Instagram. Finally, if you are interested in having us shout you out on our POC business shout out, follow us on Instagram and hit us up to let us know and we will show you some love. Now let's finish up the show. All right, so we are back. And we're moving into the real tea. Oh, today. <laughs> Keep going it, queen. <laughs> Look, and we know y'all were excited for this one because we saw uh, <laughs> your asses lighting up the post, okay, on social media. We love it. We love it. Um, but today we're going to be talking about academia is not a personality trait. Wholeness beyond your degree. So... <laughs> uh today we we don't have a guest obviously surprise surprise because we literally (laughs) we literally have had a guest for so long um which we love our guests but uh this is we felt uh we were knowledgeable enough to (laughs) to talk through this topic ourselves um so So today we're going to just kind of start off like grounding our experience uh, to this topic. Um, Obviously, you all know us. And I think a lot of people that listen to the show, like do know our background and stuff like that. But for our listeners that don't know us personally, um, we want to talk a bit through 
that first, just so you all get some context about like why we're speaking on this topic. Yeah. So both of us have devoted much of our adult life to um, education and academia and a career. So we have been through this ringer, the woes (laughs) of trying to find our own wholeness um, beyond like our degree, our credentials and our education. Um, And I know for me specifically, like stepping into my most recent identity as a a doctoral student, I've really started to kind of shape my my own mindset and socialization behind like who I who am I um and who do I want the world to know who I am outside of this degree that I'm getting outside of these credentials because I find that even talking to loved ones like that's one of the first things people equate to like me like oh like when are you graduating how's your dissertation going like x y and z and I'm like hello hi Um, me a whole human being um, that is a whole human being outside of this degree uh, is something that I try to readily like remind myself of but also try to advocate myself and set boundaries for those like around me um, like as respectfully and politely as warranted and necessary it depends on who's coming at me but like I don't always want to talk about school. And that's why I'm honestly super passionate. Um, I talked about this in a research project, um, how I joined the Black Graduate Student Association because I wanted to meet people outside of like my area of study. Like I don't Mm -hmm. only want to talk to people studying my area. I don't only want to talk about these same theories and same concepts like all the time. Like I'd like to learn other things. And yeah, I... I'm a whole person outside of this and it's really come um become more salient in these past like three years um but even always being like a smart kid in quotes like a high achieving kid like so so many people wrapped my identity around that and it honestly one of the reasons I'm in therapy mm-hmm. I definitely agree I think um especially on the BGSA tip, like, I mean, you mostly dragged me there, but cause you know, I'm an anti, but, um, it is, uh, it is always nice. And even before my current partner, it was always important, <laughs> not important, but it was a factor. Like I would always fuck with people that literally did not work in, and I'm, I'm okay saying it in student affairs, um, in academia, like I, even though I like that, like stimulation intellectually and like all that stuff, like, yeah, it was kind of a precursor for me even trying to find partners or like dating and stuff like that, because I didn't want to also come back home and be talking to someone about, you know, literally my job and like all this stuff. Um, I mean, now I am dating someone like in, (laughs) in the field, but I think like, uh, for a long time, that was like a big thing for me, uh, because my whole life was obsessed around it. Um, I've always been someone that was like socialized to be like, you're going to go to college. I was the first born in my family. Um, I'm the first person to go to college in my family, um, get a master's degree in my family. Right. Um, 
Cause it's always been taught to me to succeed. And honestly, I'm working through this in therapy as well, but like a lot of my self-worth is tied to, uh, academia in certain ways, because that was part of the only ways that my mom would praise me growing up. Right. Like, Oh, my daughter has all A's or my daughter does this, or my daughter's going to go to college, all this stuff. Um, and so that was really a, breeding ground for me to go to college. And then after that, I obviously picked an entire profession to study. Um, that literally is about, (laughs) you know, researching college education and how students develop throughout college and the ways that colleges and institutions work. So I've really enveloped myself in, in academia so much that, it's, it's kind of hard to find your way outside of it. Um, and so now I'm not, um, I'm working just as a professional right now, but, um, I do hope to go back to school. Not, not, um, in obviously student affairs, but like, I do hope to go back at one point and yeah. Anyway, all of that is kind of like what we're bringing to the table in terms of like why we're talking about this topic because we we literally have been so ingrained and embedded in in not only the system but um the culture mm-hmm. of academia research scholarship education all of this stuff and I'm sure a lot of you can relate yeah um and I would kind of argue that being in this field I'm also in higher ed um mm-hmm. but learning about like all of these things has kind of even catalyzed why I want to like step away from this socialization um, because I learned a lot about student development theory and like how um, specifically young people develop and like their brains and minds are so susceptible to socialization and so socializing them into this like toxic ass culture is like what I want to fight against and like what I want to unlearn myself as someone who is not as impressionable. (laughs) Now I have to unlearn and relearn ways of being um, because of what was ingrained in me ever since I was a kid. Right. And especially as we're growing like into my late thirties, you're, you're in your thirties, you know, late thirties, bitch. No, (laughs) late twenties. Anyway, uh, sorry, but late twenties, you know, you just entered your thirties. Like we're at, you know, the point of millennialism where it's like, you know, we are trying to, uh, outside of our careers, maybe, you know, get married, start a family. I don't, you know, if those are your hopes and wishes in life. Um, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. Cause some, some people wrap that as their personality as well. Right. But you know, we're at a place in our lives where it's like Jet's wife, Riley's mom. That is not a personality (laughs) trait. (laughs) Right. We could talk about, you know, parenthood and all that stuff. Yeah. We could talk about that, but today we'll stick to academia. But, uh, yeah, I think we're at a place in our lives where we're trying to actually shape like, or grow the foundations of like settling down, um, and all that stuff. And as I said, not everyone, but I do think this is, the point in life where there's a, there's a lot of internal and also external pressure to start to do that. And this idea that you should have your life together by 30 so that you can, you know, go on to focus on all these other aspects of your life. Um, so yes, we're coming at it from that lens, from that perspective, 
Um, and so today we're going to talk from our experiences, talking about just different instances. We've, we've seen this academia as a personality trait manifest, and then hopefully go into like, you know, what, what we can do to combat that. Right. Absolutely. So right now we're going to be talking about how far too often people become too engulfed in their careers. And now it starts to define them as individuals. Like where, where have we seen this at? Yeah. Like I think about people introducing themselves as what they do rather than who they are. Like I'm Joe and I'm a lawyer, like I'm Sue and I'm a doctor, I'm Brian and I'm a teacher, (laughs) like your career and like, or, or even like the research people do. So in like the field of higher ed and academia where people are, you know, scholars, like I'm a critical scholar, I'm a quantitative methodologist. And I'm like, that is not who you are. It's what you do. It's what you practice. And like moving away from that language and that, like that rhetoric, like I dread writing bios for like conferences and shit. Um, because I'm like, I don't fucking know. I want to say that I like traveling and twerking in mimosas. Like, I don't want to say all this other shit. <laughs> like, obviously not appropriate for the, the conference. But like your career and like your research is what you do. It's a part of like your output, but it's not who you are like to your core. And if it is who you are to your core or who you're starting to see yourself as or who other people are starting to see you as then that is the perfect time to kind of refocus and reshape um I think about (sighs) blue lives matter (laughs) you want to be a blue lives matter ass bitch okay and I'm like there's no such thing as a fucking blue life (laughs) right so every time you sit there and say that remember what you're saying you are comparing yourself to a whole movement that is non-existent, that is not real. <laughs> and like, it's it's what you do, sweetie. It is not who you are. And yeah, I just can't think about, I can't even, and I think about like in student affairs and education, like academia on, at institutions of higher learning, like so many people classify like students um, based on like their major, like the profession they want to go to, I'm like, oh, they're they're the engineering majors or they're the engineers. Um, but like they don't give that same like respect to all professions either. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, students major in engineering are engineers, but like are people majoring in history historians already? Are sociology majors sociologists already? So like, like we said, young people based on our knowledge of student development are already so like impressionable. So like socializing them into thinking that their major is um, like who they are is like unhealthy. And I, and I tell this to my students, my undergrad students all the time, just because you majored in something doesn't mean you have to do that for the rest of your life. Like that was back when like June Cleaver was going to college, like, she went to be a, she went to nursing school and now she's a nurse like but like yeah this history degree is cute and I owe tens of thousands of dollars for it but it, what, what am I doing with it <laughs> like, it's, I mean I know a lot of shit but it's just, right it's not who I am and I also want to go back to um 
the piece that you said around, uh, this always happens to me. Fuck. I guess I'll talk about my other point and hopefully it comes back to me, but, um, how I've been making it super important for myself when they do ask for bios. Um, I lead with like, honestly, my identities, like I will be like, Rachel is a first generation college student, black queer femme. Uh, like she believes in like radical politics and like, really then I'll maybe get into, you know, I'm like, where oh, I, she work here <laughs> where I graduated and stuff like that. Yeah. Because for me, it, it doesn't matter because honestly, the identities that I hold carry so much more experience for me than, than, you know, my degrees, like, and honestly impacted the ways that I carry my degrees that I was able to accomplish those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been trying to reframe in that way and, um, fuck, fuck it escaped me. Oh, I remember. I remember. Ha. Um, Love to see it. <laughs> I, I forget exactly what you said, but I was thinking about how academia also doesn't make room for you to be a human. It doesn't humanize your experience in any way. Like it literally Ooh, that part, right. It doesn't allow you the space to have emotions, to be a human. Oh, you were talking about not being able to talk about how I like to, you know, drink mimosas and twerk on the weekends and stuff like that. And like, for me, that's another conversation about professionalism, but it's also another conversation of like, you don't really want to know like who I am as a person, like in interviews, when they're like, tell me about yourself. They don't want to know that they, you know, uh, when you're at conferences and they're like, what do you like to do for fun? It's like, uh, drink mimosas and twerk. I mean, yeah, I guess at conferences is a little different. Cause I'm, you know, well at you, them receptions, <laughs> it's <different>. right. <laughs> Right. But it's like, you don't really actually want to know who I am. You want to know what you can gain from me. You want to know like how I'm going to benefit or, the institution in those yeah, ways or where I'm at in this space. Why do I belong in this space? Right. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I'll say. And I also want to talk through how a lot of people in academia, especially if you study the work, uh, that we do, or I guess even outside, just if you're embedded in scholarship and research and all of those things, I feel, I don't even feel, I know, especially if you're on track to become tenured faculty or trying to kind of prove yourself in those ways to the institution to, to prove your worth and value that they hired you for a reason that you're trying to accomplish this like overarching goal of, you know, expertise and scholarship, which is amazing. Like no one's sitting there like, shitting on the fact that people are getting PhDs or tenured faculty positions like that honestly is amazing. Great. All of that. It's a lot of work. Absolutely. And also I feel like a lot of people end up becoming a tool of labor to pump out research on behalf of your institution. Uh, the same, the same like passion that you used to have for scholarship or research and studying the things that you wanted probably has diminished greatly. Um, And even the things that you're studying, which a lot of people, you know, that I hang out with is a lot more like focusing on marginalized populations or radical concepts and stuff like that. How are we critiquing and researching systems that you're, you're replicating those same systems and working within those same systems that you're trying to work against? 
Like, you know what I'm saying? Like if you're talking about and critiquing capitalism and colonization and uh, like anti-blackness and all of these things, mm-hmm. we, we tend to play into those things on behalf of scholarship and academia, right? Yep. Which I, I don't know a way out of that cycle, right? Like except for abolishing (laughs) academia or just just making the work more accessible as someone who Mm. does research and scholarship my goal is never to like get as many citations as I can as many lines on my cv as I can it's to do research to think about how I can make a difference and then taking that research back to the people. So for instance, my first year in this program, Mm. I did a project um, for a living learning village. I took my results, my paper back to um, the stakeholders, the assistant director and the graduate assistant in that program. Like, this is what your students are saying and this is what you should implement. And like that that's been taken into consideration. And so as someone who does research, not a researcher, not a scholar, someone who does research, my goal is to do that. And that's one of the reasons that I'm not interested in pursuing a tenure track role is because like, I'm going to research all this, take the labor, emotional labor and like mental labor and sometimes physical labor of the people that I'm researching and then do what with it? Get clicks on Google Scholar, um, get get clicks on ProQuest and like what I'm not going to be the person who's actually like using the research to make a difference. And as a, as a student affairs practitioner, you know, y'all ain't picking up them journal articles, (laughs) reading them on how um, you in the master's classrooms and then PhD classrooms you do. And that's it. And that's, and so, I mean, it's a hard pill to swallow. Like we know, we know I am some great people who do scholarship and do great work for marginalized populations, but like who who's reading it besides other people that are writing it. And I be talking about that all the time, honestly, um, I, maybe not all the time, but I have shared critiques about it because as someone, I'm not in love with research. I'm not, um, I'm a really strong writer. I know, I know that for myself, but, and there was once upon a time that I wanted to do research, but, um, I, you know, I, I really don't love it. I will say for people that are academics and like, like scholarship and all that stuff hats off to you because uh, you really have to love that shit because I just don't but yeah and I mean I do really love doing the work for yeah. two reasons one talking to people like I love talking to people and learning about their experience um and then also like I'm a big nerd girl energy I just like to know a lot of things like I'm a Pisces first of all <laughs> so I just I just like to hoard like a not a lot of like knowledge in my head. Um, I do share that knowledge, but like, that's one of the reasons that I like doing research. Um, and yeah, it's really about the people that I'm doing the research with. I won't even say research on, cause I try to research with my participants and co-construct, um, like what, what I'm working on and not just like co-op their experience and like put it in some words and hope that somebody's going to cite me. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I did want to touch on was the accessibility piece. And that's like one of my main critiques about 
honestly, scholarship and higher academia, higher education and like academia, because we already know like the ways that our systems operate, we're gatekeeping education, we are gatekeeping knowledge, we are gatekeeping opportunities. Uh, that's, that's a fundamental aspect of higher education, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you're actually embedded within that, um, and really a lot of your, your, uh, opportunities and profession is shaped around the research that you produce. Um, a lot of the times that is inaccessible, right. To the communities of which you are researching. And so it just becomes another mode of honestly promoting yourself and the success within your own field. It's kind of like, we're all circle jerking each other's same research of literally communities that we are that don't have the same opportunity to read that or have access to those things. And so, um, just really thinking in depth about how you can do that. And I do know some like professors and faculty that like really are, yes, they still need their clicks. They still need that. Cause they, they still I mean, need to in the day, the system requires that. So you can keep your job, get promoting your job, get a paycheck, feed your kids. We're not diminishing right. that at all. Like, you have to day, If I have to take a tenure track job after this thing, so I could keep a roof over my head, I'm, I'm just gonna have to do that. Right. But also thinking through like with the research that you're producing, if you're getting bought out for research, if you're doing like fundamental things and whatever topic area that you're, you're doing to pave the way, like, that's amazing. And also, have you thought about how that work is then being actualized to the communities in which you are researching? Do you, have you thought about easier ways to make that that research accessible to them? Have you thought about how how that is actually uplifting and changing the material circumstances in which of the populations that you're researching, right? Um, which is hard. And I don't think like any individual has a perfect way of doing that, but I do think that is a critical piece that we need to continue to think about um, as as we move forward in academia. And so I guess we're getting a little off track and critiquing like the actual um, system system of academia, right? But I do think uh, that plays into how our research and honestly our scholarship in academia becomes a huge part of our life and our role because um, this is actually a good transition point in terms of like, where does this begin? Right. Like, and so thinking through your self-worth being tied to the amount of your labor output, this is embedded within our systems. And we kind of talked about it last week in terms of the the toxic culture of productivity, but this is tied to capitalism. It's tied to competition. It's tied to white supremacy, ideas of professionalism, the American dream, like it. (laughs) And, And it starts in elementary school mm-hmm. and when when you get them threes on your report card and then those a's and b's like that is exactly where this starts like that is grades are a mark of a labor output a menace a menace to society abolish really. grades <laughs> but yeah and like and that's and that's that's why so many students I actually read a book um when we were in grad school uh called the throwaway kids and it talked about Mm. specifically um young black men um around the age of seven or eight if they are seen or socialized as like not being high performers we basically lose them 
like mm-hmm. they're going to perform at a certain level for the rest of their like primary and secondary schooling um because of that and so like getting away getting away from those types of systems um as early as like elementary school will help um eradicate some of these these ways of being Mm -hmm. and kind of going off of that but also the abolition of grades um (laughs) I think about how um and I guess this is also tied to to the self-worth piece but how Uh, And I can speak of personal experience and I kind of talked about even my uh, caregiver growing up, you know, kind of uh, that was a place of praise. Right. And so if you are one of those students, which I feel like a lot of people that become embedded in academia, not everyone. Right. But I feel like there's a lot of people um, grow up and like they're getting A's and stuff on their report card. Like they're seeing praise on their essays. They're getting praise from their teachers. They're, you know, like this is one aspect of your life that you're really like succeeding in. And it's like, I feel like I'm good at this. So I'm going to pursue it for the rest of my life, or I'm going to maintain within this circle because I just feel, you know, this is something I'm really good at. <laughs> and that getting up in the morning. <laughs> okay, bitch, you just drug the fuck out of me because when I wrote my essay to get into grad school, I talked <laughs> how some kids were good at basketball and cello, <laughs> but I was always good at school. Bitch, this was in 2015. I hate you. I, it's so true, though, and that's one of the things. Like I, I talk about it too. And I, I felt this. So I've, I've always been someone who I have thrived academically. Like I used to be a truant in school. So, um, I used to kind of self-teach myself everything. Cause I was never at school, but I would do all the homework and shit. Um, <laughs> that's a whole other story, but, um, that was still kind of me in, uh, in undergrad as well. I didn't go to a lot of class. Like I would kind of self-teach myself, all that, all that shit still ace the essays and stuff like that. And for a large part of my academic career, I kind of felt like I was not skating by, but like academia just came really easy to me. And so at that point I was like, well, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing with my life. So then I was like, let's go to grad school to, you know, also succeed. (laughs) And you know, a bitch never read, like I (laughs) I was skim maybe once in a while, but it's just one of those things where like, I, I, I feel, I feel it within myself. I knew it was kind of like for me an easier way out, um, instead of actually figuring out what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of pursuing something that I just always knew that I was good at that came easy to me and look at me now, a whole clown, uh, (laughs) being sucked dry, rotting in my career. So, and like, this is, I think this is great because it shows like the depth of like who we are, because like, I'm the complete opposite of that. I'm like, I need to go to class. I need to be on time. I need now, now (laughs) that I've gotten this far, I'd be like a deadline. What, what's a deadline? Like y'all gonna get this paper when y'all get it. But, um, like that, like that's how I am. And like, that's how I received a lot of praise from my 
my parents growing up and like finally just like a year or two ago I talked to my parents about this I'm like you know I appreciate the support and you being there for me and like allowing me to have this like privileged place in life but like sometimes I just wish I was a fuck up because like Mm -hmm. then y'all would stop like wanting so because like I feel like I can and I know that it's not true necessarily but I like I feel like I can never mess up like I feel like I have to see all this through because of like pressure that has been put on me for like all this time and it took me like a really long time too to figure out like what I want to do like honestly I just really figured it out like maybe six months ago after I'm almost done with this PhD granted I still need the PhD and I wouldn't have gotten to this place without pursuing this but Mm -hmm. um like I remember when I first went to college I really wanted to be a teacher like I really wanted to pursue education but my parents were like no teachers don't make any money you should do this and I'm like, but I want to be a teacher, but okay, like I can't let them down. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to study this. And finally, like right before my senior year, I'm like, listen, I'm not going to law school. <laughs> I don't want to do that shit. And they're just like, okay, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I want to be a teacher. <laughs> right. And, but by like- that time, I'm a junior in college. So like, what the fuck am I going to do? So then I started like researching the alternative ways to become a teacher um, and pursuing pursuing that. But then I also took the GRE um, because I'm like, OK, well, I didn't study education, um, so I need to go go to grad school. And then I end up deciding to take like I got into grad school, an MAT program. Um, and then I decided to take a take a gap year. I'm like, I'm tired of school. Like I've been in school like my whole life. Let me just take a year and kind of figure it out and so then I end up getting a job in education that wasn't a teaching job um Mm -hmm. and my I could only defer grad school for one year so then I just like rescinded my acceptance and my mom's like so when does school start and I'm like yeah about that girl I'm not going (laughs) and she was like you're never gonna go back like what are you gonna do with your life and I'm like girl I got a job (laughs) like and it was like a good job like a a good job like a, a meaningful let me not say good is relative a meaningful job something that has catalyzed me to where I am but and I and I had those ideas of like wanting to survive and like having to make money and do what I'm supposed to do because I have a college degree and not figure out actually what I wanted to do um and yeah I focused on labor and like what what I could put out instead of like what I could pour into myself yeah damn that's a word that's probably going to be a quote uh that I'll put up on the social media but I I also yeah I agree with that um as I said like I I'm just now figuring out what I want to do and like the steps I need to take to get there like um and I will say a lot of that has been because I don't I don't live with a lot of regrets I try not to and so I do think like this moment in my life, like I did have to go through all this shit to get to where I am. And you would have never met me. That, and I also, I wouldn't have known that I wanted to go into therapy. I wouldn't know that I wanted to emotionally help people in that way. Um, because honestly, I never even thought about therapy until grad school. So, and so it's just one of those things where it's, it's funny how life works. Right. But I, I do think, uh, it's taken me this long to figure out what I want to do. And also talking to my therapist, a lot of that has been predicated on the fact of like the pressure to not only succeed, but I think the pressure, uh, 
just given the circumstances in which I grew up, which super poor single mom, like I've never lived without a job. I have never lived without working or like grasping on the opportunities that I needed to get to have survival and security. I've been operating out of survival mode for so long that I don't even know what it looks like to, to not work a job that I fucking hate to not invest myself into opportunities for the sake of a resume point. Um, I don't know what that looks like. Um, and I, I feel like, and I've tweeted about this before. Uh, I feel like a lot of my <laughs> later twenties and like trying to figure out my life and what makes me happy and who I am, uh, has been trying to get back in touch with a lot of creative pursuits that I gave up on behalf of academia on behalf of succeeding in the academy. And I commend people that are able to maintain those hobbies and joys. Like, I love that for you. I just know for myself, I, I gave up drawing. I hate fucking writing now. And I used to literally write creative creatively for fun. I used to love writing essays. Like I, to this day, one of my like dream jobs is still to be a writer. Like I, I would love that, but I get so much anxiety just to write anything because I've been forced so much to, to capitalize off of my writing. Mm -hmm. Um, and because it's been critiqued in a way that like, it's not good enough, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And Ooh, yes. I, and, and, and if, it, if you take anything away from those points is like, yes, it took us a long time to figure these things out, but it also took us the right time, you know, at the same time. So mm -hmm. not realizing that, I mean, hopefully no one under 18 is listening to this show. Cause we'd be talking <laughs> about sucking dick and stuff, but like, <laughs> um, you know, people under 18 are sucking dick girl. I mean, I know, but I don't want to be the one encouraging them on the interwebs to do it. Okay. Normalize uh, it. <laughs> they're children. I know, but we all know that children are exploring sexual activity. I'm not promoting it, but I do think we need education and awareness. I mean, we, we do, but I also don't want anybody being exploited. <laughs> You're right. Um, anywho, I'm 30. Rachel is, do you want to say your age? I'm in my late 20s. Rachel is in her late 20s and like we're literally just fucking figuring out our lives so like let go of the notion that as soon as you graduate college you got to know what your next steps are because like I literally was floating around the fucking world like yeah I went to grad school yeah I was accomplishing things but it's like with to what end yes. like I'm on these essays faking like they're like what do you hope to do with this degree like I would love to blah blah I did not want to do that shit <laughs> Like, <laughs> I just play the fuck out of y'all because look at y'all giving me these degrees and shit. But um, like, yeah, it's okay to not know what you're going to do. And honestly, I'm about to start my career. And like, I guarantee that is not what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Like, I'm going to give it maybe 10 years and then I'm going to find something else to do. I still, I want to be an interior designer. I want to work in hospitality. Like, there are so many other things I want to do. And I'd be damned if I dedicate my whole life to one profession like girl, you'd be so good at interior design around. girl okay call me the black joanna Gaines. <laughs> okay 
<laughs> black HGTV out here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, this is not what I'm doing for the rest of my life period. Yeah. And I'm, this is also just a side note before we kind of go into our suggestions, but I, I just even think like about this idea of even forcing yourself to work through a pandemic, right? Or even these systems and your own job forcing you to work through an entire pandemic or a lot of the rhetoric that was even pushed around, like setting goals for yourself or like, I'm achieving all this during the pandemic. What are you doing? You have all this free time. No, we fucking don't. We don't have, and honestly, that free time should, I I will say during the pandemic, I've, it's the one thing I will give it, it has allowed me to uh, realize more things about myself. It has allowed me to learn more about myself and honestly, what I like, what I don't like, but I would never sit there and say like, it's, it's allowed me time to prosper and do all of these other things. And a lot of that is just rooted into this other idea of like, we must achieve at all costs. We Mm -hmm. must, you know, keep outputting, labor and like putting all this labor and pressure onto ourselves in order to succeed or find more self-worth into something. And it's like, it's okay. If all you did during this pandemic was fucking survive. Yep. Like that, that is okay. It is okay to just, and honestly, I'm saying all this, um, I'm be, (laughs) uh, from my therapist. Right. But like, she's, she's like, what would it be to just exist? Like, what would it be? I never did She's like, what would it be to just, you know, find your self-worth in, in literally just existing, like as yourself, as a person. And logically that makes sense to me. Right. And logically, I hope everyone accomplishes that. And also it sounds like such an unrealistic thought to me in my head that I, I can't even emotionally grasp it. Um, but that's a whole other story, but this does kind of go into our suggestions, right? Like it, it does go into like, yeah, we talked about where this begins. We talked about our own experiences, like within academia and really framing a lot of our lives around our careers and research and our degrees. But how, how do we move beyond that? Mm -hmm. Um, I think um, our guest on our last episode, Elise Moore, shout out to our girl Elise, um, Mm -hmm. said this, like, and I'm not going to even try to quote it, like, um, but she said it so eloquently, like, basically don't sell every part of yourself, like your hobbies, the things that you enjoy, your talents, you don't have to capitalize off of every single one of those. Keep some of those gems and those goodies to yourself. Um, Elise said that, and I'm like, wow, like, snatch my freaking edges um but yeah it's so true yeah Um, because you don't have to become a consultant because you know how to write you don't you don't have to like you know um write books for my like you can just just enjoy it just be right and that's that's something that we got to get in touch with ourselves like I literally was just talking to (laughs) talking about like writing and stuff like that like um obviously one of my dream careers is to become a writer but what would it look like to just creatively write for myself like what would that look like in yeah I even think about us in this podcast because people are always like and I talked about this on the last episode like mm-hmm. when are y'all gonna monetize or like how much do y'all make and like blah 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 and it's just like can we not just enjoy like doing this 
And I mean, yeah, I, I definitely agree. And one day I would love to, you know, have sponsorships and stuff like that. But honestly, that that's not what keeps us going. Like yeah. this is a fully personally funded podcast. Like this, this just started out with like a dream and wanting to talk about things. So yeah. uh, honestly, if it remains that way, cool. If it becomes something else, even better. But I, it's not, it's not my goal. Yeah. And I, and I almost would like, no, I know that I would like this list if I had to, to meet those deliverables in order to be paid for it or to rely on it to like pay our bills and stuff like that. Like I'm okay investing 30 to $50 a month to do something that I enjoy versus mm-hmm. like investing all of my emotional and mental energy, um, knowing that we both have lots of other things going on in our life. Um mm-hmm to like meet certain like deadlines and markers um to produce this podcast like it's wonderful I appreciate all of our listeners but at the end of the day this podcast is for us yeah it really it really is uh <laughs> keep listening yes uh <laughs> but it's really yeah. for us yeah so definitely agree um I think the next point is like figuring out what kind of person you are outside of your career like I I will say and maybe you already know that and honestly I love that for you I think for for me um and I I use this example to and I talk to my students about this um they'll be like yeah it's gonna be so weird like graduating and like all this stuff and it's like then they'll talk to me like once they they're in their professional career and they're like, yeah, it's so weird. Like I, I just get off work and I don't know what to do. And it's so true, right? Because a lot of the times as a fresh out of school student, like I can even talk about like getting out of grad school and walking into my first professional career. I was Actually, I guess I shouldn't say that because I did have a little stint between undergrad where I did just work um, a random job, but it was kind of weird. I was like, I don't have all these clubs to go to. I don't have homework to do. I technically don't have to do anything that I really don't want to do outside of my job. Uh, And so with that, you know, I started like finding different hobbies, going out and doing different things, finding out different things that I like to do. Um, And so honestly, I'm back in that situation now. Uh, I'm trying to figure out like who I really am in terms of like outside of the shit that I work Mm -hmm. for. Um, But yeah, so I really encourage you to like spend some time self-reflecting on like what do you, what actually brings you joy? What do you actually like to do? Like, what kind of person are you really outside of just your job? Um, and like really sitting in that with yourself. Um, so yeah, that's another point. Yeah. I, I've never been one of those, uh, PhD students that's like oh my gosh I have to go home and read and write for hours like every single day like no I'm gonna sit my ass on the couch sometimes I'm gonna um take my ass to the mall I'm gonna you know do shit that I enjoy because like if this school burned down tomorrow like what what the fuck and that's that's so true uh (laughs) like no I think the other point um 
is if you can afford it and you have, you know, the accessibility to it, definitely therapy. Uh, we'll always talk about therapy on the show and we'll always like sit there and encourage folks to utilize therapy if you so choose, because yes, self-awareness and like all this stuff gets you so far, but, uh, and I'm a very self-aware person. Um, however, having a therapist sit there is having honestly an objective point of view, sit, sit down and draw these connections for myself that I really couldn't be for. Like, I guess an example I could give just within this topic is like, I I could sit there and be self-aware and recognize that like, wow, I, I really put a lot of weight into academia, but I don't think I had the inner, the inner origin of why. Right. And so my therapist really helped me observe my origin story to figure out where, where my self-worth really came from. Who were these first messages? What really like drew me there? And I think like logically probably hearing this and people maybe listening are probably like, oh, I could do that myself. And it's like, oh, that's amazing. I love that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that's some type of, you know, really critical self-awareness that like, I, I wish I had, but I will say, (laughs) look, I will say therapy has really introduced me to other parts of myself that like I could name at one point. Yeah. I do all this stuff out of self-destructive behavior, but I couldn't identify ways to stop. I couldn't identify like why I was doing all those things. And so just saying therapy, if you can do it, it's a great way to really have a thought partner in terms of how to move forward outside of your career Mm -hmm. um, in academia. Absolutely. And finally, like prioritizing yourself, not the the typical self-care rhetoric but like prioritizing yourself because in all honesty you're going to be the only one that's going to do that um at the end of the day these jobs these schools don't give a fuck about you Mm -hmm. um so like read read that book for leisure um Mm -hmm. use that pto um pto prepare the others because i ain't coming um (laughs) take that sabbatical for all my um people who are uh, doing academia, professors, um, you're, you're not going to ever be able to uh, pour from an empty cup. Like mm-hmm. you are not going to be able to give your best work if you're operating as like half a human. So find wholeness in yourself and then you are bound to be whole in everything else that you do. And those are those little small things make up who you are as a whole. They're not who you are as a whole. Like they make up who you are, but they're not who you are as a whole. So that's really like the gems, the knowledge that we wanted to spit to y'all today. Um, please engage with us on our on our socials um, about this topic. We'd love to hear from y'all, um, share some stories, how you broke free or how you're on the journey to break free. Um, yeah, and... Is there free any- us <laughs> free, uh, free us from the shackles of the ivory tower please um <laughs> and don't forget about capitalism and white supremacy yes but i think that was beautiful uh definitely find wholeness within yourself uh 
outside of your career. I F- think TJ, fuck that job. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I I want to say, you know, bye. Keep it classy, hoes, and sometimes trashy. Bye. <laughs>